You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. This episode is presented by Citizens Bank of Edmund. Citizens Bank of Edmund has been serving Edmund since 1901. They pride themselves on investing in the community and are here for all your personal and business banking needs. For more information, go to mycitizens.bank and follow them on Instagram at citizensedmund, as well as Go bank there because I bank there too. It's been a fantastic personal experience for me. I've had my podcast account there now, my podcast business account there now for a few, four years now, I think. And it's been fantastic. So definitely worth your time. They're a great group of people and they're always there to answer the phone when I forget my password because I seem to forget it daily. Um, So yeah, go to Citizens Edmund and um, check them out. It's been awesome. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, host, back with another episode. Gives me great pleasure to introduce to you our guest today, Mr. Dusty Baker of Cross Timbers Bison. Dusty, thanks so much for uh, for making the trip down here. Thanks, man. Pumped. Yeah, excited to get into it. Uh, had a lot of fun scrolling through your Instagram page, sharing a lot of your videos. Um, just Big Joe and all the other kind of amazing bison that you have on the on the property which we're going to talk about today but before we get into talking about bison the whole business um and and kind of the explosion that you've had over social media probably the last 24 months um and youtube too your youtube channel's really good uh, tell me about you where'd you grow up so i grew up in sulfur where we currently live um uh and graduated from high school there in 2004 yeah yeah and um I don't know. Lived the country life, you know, grew up in the country doing hunting, fishing, being a country boy, I guess. And got into the sports, played, played football. And, uh, we all had some really good success there and, um, was in FFA, uh, showed sheep, kind of did all that and, uh, played basketball too as well. And then some track here and there and to stay busy, you know, yeah. Just country boy, I guess. I don't know. Ne- never wanted to get an office job then. <laughs> no, not really. I didn't know. You know, I always, I always had this vision of uh, I loved animals and I always wanted to, you know, 
kind of, you know, when you're a young kid, you're like, you want to be a zookeeper and stuff. And then when you get older, you're like, okay, there's, there's some other cooler things out there, um, to do. And so, no, I, I had the, my senior year in high school, I had the, um, I was pursuing to go to Oklahoma state to, um, get a wildlife ecology degree. I had that. That's, okay. that's what I wanted to do. There was nothing else. Yeah. So, um, but when I went there, I, 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 was, I never changed my major, um, which is kind of rare for lots of college kids. <laughs> but, um, no, anyways, I can keep going if you want me to yeah, just dude, keep I'm, running I'm, with yeah, it. Yeah, keep running with it. Because <laughs> I will. You have to stop no, me. No, no, no. You're good. We can, edit, we can edit stuff. This is great. You're doing um, good. No, so uh, I, I kind of go back to the bison whenever we start talking about that. But just life in general, I... Um, I did. I wanted to go to Oklahoma State, and I went my first semester to East Central, and uh, and, and uh, kind of was stepping into college, I guess. And it wasn't my favorite thing I wanted to do. And I figured out real quick with all some of my buddies and stuff, and that vision I had of going to Stillwater, um, it was in the back of my mind. But it took me about two months. I'm like, this is not what I like driving back and forth from Sulphur to Ada, and uh, so. Within, I think, two or three months, I put a deposit down on a dorm room in Oklahoma State, and um, I headed to Stillwater in, I guess, the beginning beginning of 2005 to start the spring semester. Anyways, went to Stilly, um, and uh, like I said, I always had pursued that major, wildlife ecology, wanted to kind of do the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, National Park Service, step into those positions. And um, in the meantime, in 2006, I started working for the Oklahoma State football team and became a, a student equipment manager. And so that honestly kind of my experience and just, I mean, I, I had so much experience. I mean, I basically lived the dream of a player without you know, playing, you know, or having to work out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was what an experience and I got paid to do it. It wasn't much. I'm pretty sure it was minimum wage is like six twenty five. Yeah. But man, I was going to school and I got involved with the team and I mean, it was, it was awesome. And so I did that for about two and a half years and my last semester last year working for the football team um i was like man i really love this relationship between the coaches and the players and the community and of course in stillwater that town is built you know around that place so um i just loved it and um anyways i graduated in fall of 2008 well at the same time that happened was the economy crash and so, you know, growing up or kind of at the, um, at the high school age, all these older men that were working in the park service were supposed to be retiring. And there were going to be hundreds of jobs across the country. And I didn't mind moving at the time. Um, anyways, well, that didn't happen with the economy crash. And so there were no government jobs whatsoever. Um, and uh, so I was like, okay, God's trying to tell me to do something here. I don't know if this is what I should be doing. I'm like, I don't know. So I jumped into, hey, you know what? I kind of want to coach and teach. And so I uh, actually, from um, a previous marriage I was in, I was when moved to Texas, got married, bought a house, and I started substitute teaching. And from there, I kind of got my foot in the door, and I ended up in Plano. 
is where I did and uh, working at Plano East side and uh, a guy from Oklahoma actually was a principal and he hired me. I think it's said it on that yeah. resume, it helped him a little bit hire me because I was a, never taught before anything. And of course I started coaching football. That was my main sport. And so that's, that's my teaching career. It started in Plano, yeah. did that for five years, um, got out of a marriage, moved, met my current wife, um, and she was from Nebraska and uh, randomly met her at a Bedlam game. And then I, uh, we started dating and talking. Uh, she was going to UNL. She was a Husker. And uh, anyway, she graduated and I was still in Plano and she moved to the city here. She moved to Oklahoma City and she worked for a, a oil company here, got a job. And uh, so I was like, okay, you better, you better decide real quick yeah. you know and so I resigned from teaching in Texas and I moved to Oklahoma City yeah uh, did a year at Newcastle and uh, then I did my next four years at Deer Creek Edmond nice and I loved that place I loved that job and um, I can keep going into like after COVID and how I before got out of teaching do, I, I, I do have a few questions yeah. before you do uh, back to the FFA stuff why did you show sheep over every other animal so um, <laughs> that's a good question if you ask me that do you like you know, like how I felt about sheep then. <laughs> I'm from Wales and there's more sheep in Wales than people, yeah, right? Like, true. like yeah. three to one. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a lot of sheep in Wales. A lot of sheep. And the mad thing is we do, we export all the lamb because we get so much money for it. That's crazy. Right? So yeah. we don't really grow up. I didn't, never grew up eating lamb. It that's was like funny. beef and a chicken and everything else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why I asked the sheep question because <laughs> sheep's very near and dear to my heart. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Well, they they weren't very near and dear to my yeah, heart. That's, that's what I'm saying. No. I just say, to look at them yeah. on the golf course like they wouldn't I never had to worry about sheep shearing and all the other yes, stuff that's, like they're mischievous little things no. yeah they are they're um yeah they're hard-headed for sure so uh the reason I got into that is uh my mom remarried and my stepdad Kevin uh had been raising them forever him and his mom his brother they had their own show sheep business and so kind of stepping into that ffa role that was my project i mean it was a natural fit hey yeah let's do this i i love the farming you know work you got yeah. there's work there behind the sheep showing deal and so that's how i got into it yeah. and i did that for like six years it's a great program right for yeah kids to go through it no i mean minus the sheep thing like there's so much that ffa has to offer um and like that i learned from that you know not only going out and meeting people and go to the ffa convention here in the city every year um it's hard work you know i i remember like my stepdad would go to work and i would go feed before i got ready for school you know six five thirty six or six a.m in the morning i'd go feed go to school, go to football practice, come home. And then you still had work to do when you got home to take care of those animals. So I think that instilled a lot in me as a young person about responsibility. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, I, that's awesome. It yeah. was really good. And I mean, you know, the Oklahoma yeah, Ag, Ag, Ag Department's great. And obviously, you know, they just do so many amazing things and especially connected, you know, with, with the school and still water and everything. It's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's so many stories of people who've gone through FFA and leadership skills, gone to, you know, the ag college and Stillwater, and then, and now doing amazing things. And fortunately I've been, I've had the experience of sharing those stories on the podcast as well. And, you know, everything from meat science to, you know, 
showing and all the other stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's big business, but it um, as a kid growing up, the values that you get from that and absolutely, you know, it's a great program. Uh, tell me about the football stuff, football team being around OSU that time. The team wasn't that good during that no, time. No, right? it was a little rough. Yeah. I think Gundy came in in what oh four something like that. Oh, yeah. I think uh, I should know that. You know, but um, no, he came in. It was early stages, but uh, so yeah, it was it was not the greatest time to be um, you know maybe working for the football team. But man, there were so many great things about it. Um, not just on the wins and losses side. There was so like. You know, I got to see Coach Gundy on a daily basis and, and stuff. And, like, Coach Glass, I, if I walked in there right now, Coach Glass, I mean, he knows me, you know. Like, just from those relationships and, like, good players, Justin Blackman, Des Bryant, Zach Robinson, Brandon Whedon, like, those dudes were all there. And, they're all, I mean, I used to hang out with some of those guys when I was there, and um, they were just good dudes. But traveling you know, we got to go to all the games. I was at every single game. Um, you know, we'd take a plane. I'd, sometimes we'd fly out to players. Sometimes we'd go out the day before to those stadiums. Well, we always did, but sometimes, you know, there's 13 managers. You got to go to the stadium the day before, get it ready. So we'd leave on a Thursday night. You may go down to the strip, you know, that night and then catch the bus at <laughs> yeah, 2 a.m. or yeah. something. But um, we would travel. Um, on the Bob, the big orange bus, and we would go set everything up. And basically that evening, the players would come in, like on a Friday, uh, they would fly in that evening. We would do a uh, practice, a little short practice, and then um, they would go to the hotel. We would pack everything up. We'd go to the hotel, do whatever. Next day, you got game day. Of course, that's a yeah. lot of work too. So, yeah. no, that was my life, you know, for several months. But once you're in football season, man, it's it's a business, Division One football, um, you know. And so I learned about the business side of it. And you know, when you're a manager, you know all the ins and outs that nobody knows. Yeah. It, you know, like injuries and everything. And so, like, you kept your mouth shut essentially because you were looking out for your players, you're looking out for your, your team and stuff. And there was just a lot of inside stuff that normal people don't see. But I also saw all the work that goes into it. Those uniforms and those helmets, those managers do all that. The reason those helmets look so awesome are those because of those managers how everything flows on the field, you know, the structure and the headsets and everything, that's managers. And I had no idea. I was a player growing up in high school, and now that I'm on the other side of it, lots of cool things, man. Yeah. I mean, I could talk a long time about Dude, it. Dude, do and it. So, we got time. I want to so, hear about it. I mean, that was, that was kind of the thing. And then being around the players every day, yeah. you know, like people would brag, you know, like, oh, yeah, this and that, this dude. I'm like, those are just, they're just normal dudes, you know, and, and those coaching staff, they always treated us really well. And uh, I was assigned to a couple coaches here and there, and we would set practice up every day. We would run the practice, and then we would, after practice breakdown, we would break it all down, put everything back up, um, and go back to our normal lives of being a college student again. But I mean, it was it was living the dream. It was the best job. It was a lot of work, but it was the best job that if you were a student and wanted to be involved in something, I didn't have to be a part of a fraternity. That was my that was my niche. That was my group, and I needed those those thirteen guys and my boss or something and those players. And I mean, it was a blast. So all of that 
fun and the experience and the relationships that I saw within the whole system from the athletic director to coach Gundy down to those individual players and coaches. I saw that and I was like, I want to be a part of it. I want to influence your kids' lives. And so high school football was my thing. And so that I did that for 10 years. Uh, What was your favorite stadium you went to on the road? Uh, First game I ever worked was in Georgia. Um, and oh my gosh, I'm going blank right now who the quarterback was. He's the quarterback for the St. Louis Rams right now. Um, yes, it's better than And that. oh my gosh, Matthew Stafford. Okay. Matthew Stafford was there um, at the time. They crushed us. We still had Bobby Reed as our quarterback at the time. I'm sorry, Bobby. I like you, man. But um, anyways, um, that was really cool to go to the SEC and do that. Now, Georgia's a lot better than they were then. But... Um, we played in the Seattle Seahawks Stadium. My second game of the uh, f- first first game of 2008 or seven, we played Washington State there. Nice. That was fun. Um, we the bowl games were kind of your sure. the fun thing. We got to play at the San Diego Stadium, the Charger Stadium. We played uh, Oregon, the Ducks there. Um, they beat us. Those were. Those are some of the stadiums that kind of come to my attention. And then after I left, the Big 12 kind of changed a little bit right in there. So I didn't get to go to Morgantown and places like that. But, um, yeah, it was uh, – those are pretty cool. I mean, minus all the Big 12 teams or games. What was Bedlam like? Did you go to Bedlam at in Norman? Yes. How was that experience? I, I do not like Norman. <laughs> Same. I do not like – let me let me I rephrase that. I do not like Norman in an orange shirt. Me in an orange shirt. You working for the enemy, basically. Yes, yes. Yeah. and um, I'm not a huge fan of the Sooners. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm an I'm an Okie, right? Born and raised here, whatever. I am through and through orange, but I'm not a huge fan of Sooners. And I really got a good taste of that when I was a manager. You know, you're in it. And then I remember going out, and we would go out with the kickers. And we were shagging balls for them, you know. And I really, this is what set me off is we're in Norman. And and I know going into this game, 90% of the time, they're going to beat us. Like, I, I just know that they're going to beat us. And I shouldn't say that as a, as a Pope no, but guy. It's but the I facts know. The facts. Right? It is what it is. Probability I, says that you're going to lose. Yeah, yeah. And so if we do win, it's like a surprise to me. You know, yeah. I'm happy. So, um, but traditionally, in the past, they've always been better than us. And I know I shouldn't say it, but I'm just trying to be realistic. Until, I have a, until this year. Until this year, right? <laughs> yeah. Stuff happens, right? Yes. You know, I'm always, my Cowboys are in my heart. But, yeah. um, man, we were out there shagging balls, and um, these guys, the student section, we're kicking in the OU student section, and this is before they updated the stadium at the time, and w- the kicker was kicking them, and they would toss them, and you could see the ball. They'd catch it because they didn't have a nets up. They would take the ball and they'd throw it back 10 or 15 yards, throw it back and throw it back. And eventually they'd throw it over the stadium. And they did it about four or five times. And uh, my boss, I'm probably not going to, I should, probably shouldn't say what he did, what we started putting on the footballs like the next. Well, it's uh, the statute of limitations is probably gone. Now. Yeah. So it's been yeah. more than 10 years. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so, yeah, I think that's the right phrase for it. You're good. Yeah. And they would, I mean, they would cuss us 
yeah. flip us off. And I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. Like that's, that's where I was like, this sucks. I hate being a Norman. And I guess that's all part of it. You know, there's no telling what players go through on that. You know, the big time players, they get a lot of that stuff. And I'm just a little manager, you know, I'm just running out there doing my job and they're tormenting me and my buddies. And so that was kind of my, yeah. I was like, Anyways, but see, my job was interesting. I guess I didn't notice, I didn't note this, but my boss, when I first started, he said, you're going to be on the opposite side. So I was, out of, the, out of the two years that I worked for the team, I was never on our side. I was always on the opposing side as a ball boy. There were three of us. And so, and I don't know how it happened, but I got placed like in the middle. So I was always next to, you know, Mac Brown or something like that, those guys uh, at the time, which was pretty cool experience, um, to be honest with you, because I'd be with these guys for months, you know, every day of the week, and I could, on game day, I got to be on the other side, and now I saw, like, I use Mac Brown as an example, because that guy, he was so respectable, and so, sorry, so respectful, he would come over, and he would shake our hands before the game started. I mean, like, that was pretty cool. Like, I'm just a, you know, nobody and he, you know, would be really nice to us. So that was a neat experience. And I'm at Georgia. First game, I'm nervous, right? You're out there in front of a huge stadium trying not to drop a punt or something. Yeah, yeah so I'm on the sideline at Georgia. It's our first game. I mean, the stadium, I, I want to say there's 90,000 there, maybe. And um, I'm just hanging out on the, you know, on the Georgia sideline doing my thing. And I turn and look. And uh, there's the outcast, you know, they're hanging out and of course they're funny outfits and stuff, but it's just like, I was like, this is going to be a fun job at that point, you know? Yeah. And so anyways, well, it's Andre 3000. Yes. Yeah. Andre. Yeah. yeah. 3000. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. It's, it's been a minute. I hadn't listened to him in a while, but <laughs> anyways, yeah, it was like, this is pretty fun. We were getting beat, which, yeah. you know, but in my experience, I was like, this is fun. Um, Nebraska was a cool place. Um, that was the year we went up there. I'm going out. I'm going bouncing around here. But Nebraska, we went there and uh, we beat them. And it was the first time we beat them since like, <clears throat> excuse me, since like the 40s. Oklahoma State had beat Nebraska in Lincoln. That's huge. I, like in a, it was it was a long time. And I remember uh, the coach there was not doing very good. Maybe Coach Callahan at the time. They were cheering us on after we beat them, walking and walking back into the stadium or into the locker room, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, these are the best fans ever!" Like they just because it had been that long, it's a huge accomplishment for Oklahoma State to go into Lincoln and do that. And um, my wife is a Husker now, so I always tell you know the, that story. That story, and anyways, no, I, I love uh, Nebraska. Yeah, but that was a good experience too. So. A lot of cool locker room stories from the guys winning whenever the games did come that you're winning and just I mean you're right in the mix of it right like yeah the best job and the best seat in the house and you don't have to play well I'll tell you a secret here do you remember when coach Gundy had his blow up on I'm a man I'm 40 yeah I was me and my buddies were in the locker room at uh, Oklahoma State I forgot what team it was he uh, the way that was structured he did his interview and he had to come through the locker room to go back to the office or whatever. And all the players are gone. He's the last one. And we're in there picking up game cleats. And he comes through there and he goes, 
Lois, don't watch the news tonight. <laughs> that was the first thing he said to us. And, you know, he didn't talk to us a whole lot. And he said that, and I was, we were all like, kind of looked around each other like, what? And, you know, sure enough, that became like, one of the biggest memes ever. But Iconic moment <laughs> yeah. in Oklahoma State history. Yeah, and I'll, you know, I'll, I love it or whatever, but yeah. I remember that specific time, him walking through there, and we didn't know what that would turn out to be or anything. So Yeah. But, uh, no, lots of good locker room memories and stuff, and, um, you know, lots of good players, uh, ex-players that would come through there. I mean, Barry Sanders would come through there, you know, on homecoming, Thurman Thomas, those guys. Um of course, celebrities every now and then, but um, man, I had the best job ever, and I had really good bosses. I had really good, you know, it was just everybody in that yeah. business was really good, and they all cared for the team in Orange. So, that's awesome. Yeah, I was very lucky. Yeah, now that covers a lot of ground. I'm glad we talked about that. Yeah. Uh, so you come back to Oklahoma City, you go to Newcastle for a year, then you go to Deer Creek for three or four years. Mm-hmm transition then into the farm stuff right from there how yeah do, how do we get into cross timbers and and you said mum earlier before we started recording you said mum's got a shop in Sulphur. so is it a family business and how do you get into that yeah so um i was uh, i was working at deer creek i was in my fourth year and deep into high school football 6a2 all that we just entered 6a2 at the time and um loving deer creek but that was 2020 and um in 2018 we started raising bison okay so we started with five bison uh, me and marissa and my stepdad kevin went and picked five up in stratford oklahoma not far from us five yearlings and so we started that in 2018 meanwhile marissa worked a full-time job i was still coaching and teaching in deer creek and you're like well there's a distance between edmund and sulfur well my parents my mom and kevin had 40 acres and it was actually an old existing dairy farm and so there was partial barn partial corral water there was a way to start which helped us my mom and them basically said well here you here's some land if you want to start this passion and so that's how that started so we brought them first five in there so we had kevin there kevin mom and them lived on this place they built a new home there and so they could look out their their window and see the bison that's how close they were yeah and so kevin luckily had had a lot of experience and i remember kevin is the guy who started me on the FFA on the sheep thing so he had worked at Arbuckle Wilderness some people remember that place still exists there when it was good Kevin worked there he had the experience around bison and exotic animals so it was not anything for him to do that take care of so Kevin took that on Uh, so during the week Kevin would take care of them I would coach and teach and on Saturdays you know I'm still doing film breakdown We'd be done about one or two. Marissa and I would get in our car. We would drive to Sulphur. We would do whatever work we had to do, spend time, do our family thing, get up Sunday, drive back to Oklahoma City, and I'd have to be in film at one to work. And uh, that was our, that was what we did literally for two years. In 2019, I started the YouTube channel. So, 
so it's kind of sequential here. May of 2018, we got our bison. May of 2019, I started the YouTube. And meanwhile, we're still doing the weekend trips. And then, because when I wasn't coaching football, you do two sports, you transition into basketball. Well, there's no break. So I just flew right into basketball. And of course, sometimes you play games on Saturdays. So a very, very busy life. And then 2020, um, Marissa had Brooks, our daughter, who's a three now. In February of 20, she had her. Okay, everything was normal at that point. You got lucky before March. Yes. Yeah. I feel bad for all the moms of yeah. 2020. But yeah, when we went, uh, so in March rolled around, Brooks is a month old or so, COVID hit. Well, we went on spring break. We went on spring break and I remember leaving the class and stuff and it really, there was nothing that I was concerned about. I don't remember at the time. Went on spring break, spring break came around. I was like, things were getting serious. So we were in Sulphur now at this point. Um, We had a house at our cabin place. We have a a cabin rental there in Sulphur. And so that's where we lived on the weekends. Um, So we're there, COVID happens. They say, we're not coming back. And then uh, they pushed it back and they pushed it back. So everything went online. Well, while I was at home, I'm not sitting around devoting 100% to teaching because it's all online now. I took care of business. Now I got to work on the cabins and, and take care of that, start projects there. Now I got to spend more time with the bison. And then my wife and I are spending time with her daughter and she's on maternity leave. Um, and so this is not bad. So that's whenever she looked at me and said, what do you think about not going back to teaching? And I was super nervous with a steady income, not having that steady income and insurance and all those things. And I was like, okay, well, when May hit, after school was out, I'd got my five years. So I was vested essentially with the state. And um, we decided kind of over the summer, really like, if we're going to do this because you can take care of the property. You can do your bison thing. Cause I was starting the YouTube. I already did the YouTube channel. Now I'm getting into that. And, uh, so we decided that I would do that. Well, she got to, she essentially got to stay home almost the rest of 2020. She didn't have to come back to Oklahoma city cause they didn't make them come back in the office. 21 came around. She had to go back. So this is where it got kind of hard. Marissa, basically, we still had our house in Oklahoma City. Marissa would live up here during the week. And by this time, we're committed. So I, um, I would take care of the cabins, take care of the bison, and I became a stay-at-home dad. And so I kind of ran that operation, and Marissa would work her full-time job in the city Monday through Friday. She would come home uh, Friday at, at five, she got off and she would spend the weekend with us. And then a lot of times she would get up Monday morning at four or 5 a.m. and drive back to the city from Sulphur. It's an hour and a half drive. Yeah. We did that live for a year and a half. And um, she got to come home, right? Um, April 30th of 2023. Yeah. So. This year. A year and a half-ish is what I want to say. She did the back and forth thing and, you know, was away from yeah. me. And uh, so 
she did most of the sacrificing and, right. and kept up, uh, you know. You had a great time raising your daughter. Yeah, bison. I did, you, you know. <laughs> but, um, and it was, it was hard. I don't think it was hard then, you know, now I look at it, I'm like, how did, how did we balance that out? And, you know, just a marriage itself of me trying to operate and still be a husband, you know, and I only get to see my wife two days out of the week and Brooks not seeing her mom. So, um, I do have to get a lot of credit to her for sacrificing that, um, that job and keeping the steady income, you know, uh, coming in and insurance when you have a child. So I, I give a lot of that to her um, because she missed out on yeah. the first year and a half, or, you know, two, I guess when Brooks was two to three, Marissa moved, uh, wasn't able to do that, be with her. She gets to come home this year. And so basically from May of 2023, she's been home. And um, yeah, so cool. it's been like a little normal, <laughs> maybe a normal life, but. Yeah. Now we're like busier than ever. So what, uh, where, what, I mean, where does the idea, the dream, the passion come from to start to have, you know, bison on, on, on land? Like, where does that come from? Okay. So I'll, I'll back up, um, in 20, uh, sorry. Yeah. in in 2004, when I was about to graduate high school from sulfur, I'd already had this vision of being a wildlife major mm-hmm. and well, Fortunately, we have the Chickasaw National Recreation Area in Sulphur, uh, a national park. You grow up looking, well, there's a herd there. Yeah. There's a small herd in the park. And so you just grow accustomed to seeing them every day. And you're like, that's a cool animal. And you're lucky if you could see them at the, at the, at the Buffalo Lookout. Well, my Oklahoma history teacher, her husband was the chief of resource management. Now, it's a fancy term, but he basically took care of the wildlife side, the ecology side of the park. Well, her husband did that. And he said, He's, I've got two spots open this summer. And I'm like, oh, perfect. I can work in a national park in my hometown. I can go to Stilly, come back and do this. And so that's what I did. I worked there, I think, four summers. I was a GS-5. I got into the government. Um, that was my first step into the National Park Service, and I got to take care of those bison. So I'll dive into that. Um, he said, Steve, my boss, he said, okay, one of your responsibilities on a daily basis is to take care of the bison. And so I said, heck yeah. So me and my, my brother-in-law, uh, he wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, but Daniel, um, we worked there together. He graduated from Sulphur. He's a year or two older than me. And we were the summer interns, essentially. But we were like full-time hires or whatever. And uh, we got in the government vehicle that we were issued. And um, it was a Bronco. I want to say a Ford Bronco. No, our Chevy Blazer. is an older Chevy Blazer and white. And we drove it out there had four-wheel drive, lock-in hubs, and we pull out there, and um, there's a big bull out there. And his name was Crooked Horn. He's actually, he, he, he passed away in like 2008 or so, and he has this weird drop-down horn. His, his body is actually a full-mounted body in the park. You can go to the Nature Center, it's over, and you can see him. And we pull out there with cubes because in the summer, the pasture they were on was terrible. And so we would cube them. And so I dove all in. I'm like, 
heck yeah. So we pull out there and we start cubing them. And basically, to break down what cubing them is, is from from the local feed store, you could buy a 50-pound bag of little cubes and three-quarter size cubes, cattle cubes, essentially, like a 14% or 20% protein. And that's what you gave them as a supplement because there wasn't a lot of grass back there. Yeah. And that's what we did. And I just remember feeding him out of my hand and his massive head and his structure and his everything he had. I'm like, this is amazing. You know, this is an awesome animal. And of course we pulled some shenanigans back there to test them and figure out, you know, there's some stories I can't say on here, like in the national park service, you know, wearing a uniform, but we definitely learned a lot about bison and what they could do in that back pasture nothing bad just being just being high, guys right? just Thank being that. dudes yeah, you're exactly. gonna test your yeah. Yeah. your limits of, of stupidity um just, you know kind of being sort of safe but i just saw that interaction with them and i was just pulled in man i was done and i was like this is a sweet animal i love it yeah. this is like nothing compared to sheep right you know offense to sheep people or or cattle people you know, you grow up looking at cattle, and it's just a normal thing. And I love beef; still eat beef. Um, so, it was just I was I was in love. And so, every day, you know, we were able to go and check them mostly. Anyways, because that was that's kind of my role in the wildlife ecology. So that's where I got the yeah. hey, I want to go work in the National Park Service. And then it didn't work out for me, whatever. And so that's where it led me to teaching. Yeah. So that's my first step up close with a bison and so from 2004 is really where I was hooked then when I went to Stillwater there was one of our classes animal husbandry I don't know what class it was I did a paper a 20 page paper on bison I got to choose what I want what animal I want to do and that's where I learned about their history I didn't know a whole lot about their background and so that's where I learned about, you know, the 30 to 60 million populations that they had in the 17, 1800s, and then, you know, kind of the decline of them. And so I was like, here's an animal right here in my hometown. They have such a cool story. And that's where it started buzzing in my head. Like I told my boss, it's like, I'd love to have, I'd love to be a part of this and raise these animals someday. That was 2007, eight, right? 10 years later, my wife supported me in that and jumped on board with me. And, you know, now we have That's a- awesome. Uh, for some context, how much does five yearlings cost? Okay, well, right now, I don't, I don't remember how much I bought in my time. No, I do. I think at the time I bought, which is Dunbar today, uh-huh. Dunbar and four others, four other yearling heifers for, I want to say, $1,200 a piece. Okay. And I bought five. What are they now? Right now, you can probably buy them for about $1,500 okay. a piece. I mean, yeah. the market, it's, you know, it's yeah. not as crazy as the beef industry, but it definitely fluctuates, and right now it's on uprise. Yeah. Um, last year, you could probably get about them for about 1000 or 1200 It was kind of down, but... And it also depends on where you're getting them from, quality. But I was getting them from one of the biggest names in the bison industry, and I had no idea. Like, Doc Parsons, is he's a bison vet. Yeah. 
He's a vet for the, you know, in Stratford. And then, and I go just a little bit further, but I went to my first NBA conference, which is a National Bison Association conference in Denver, and he's speaking. And I'm like, maybe this guy's way bigger than I know. Just or, a guy from Stratford. Yeah, it's just a guy bison. from Stratford. You know, it's the peaches, not home <laughs> of the bison. But, um, yeah, and so, like, that relationship started there. I was like, oh, my gosh, what a mentor. And we can go down that road, but, like, he's been a big mentor to me. But So I didn't know that at the time. But, yeah, I'd say I think there were about 12 or 13. I still have the receipt of those first five. Um, and so part of those first five is Dunbar, Peaches, Eleanor, you know, one of the famous cows, um, and then Bell Star. Did I say Bell Star, Peaches, Eleanor? Anyway, I'd lost one my first year, too, in that group. Her name was Lucy. Um, first bison I ever lost. At the time, I didn't have a, a squeeze chute, and you have to worm them or work them. I say, I call it work them. You have to work them twice a year. We'd have to load them up in the trailer and actually take them back to Doc because he had a really nice system, and he would um, give them their vaccinations or what we just call wormer. Well, we brought them home one time, and I'd had more. I went out and bought some bison. I got some from the Quapaw Nation, actually, so some um, of those animals. So I was trying to grow a little bit, and uh, we had to go worm them because we didn't have a facility for them yet. And we came home, and I unloaded them back into the corral off the trailer, and I counted them as they came out. And I'm like, I feel like we're missing one. And I... All of them were out, I thought, and I went in there and looked, and she was laid down, like, complete, like, just, yeah. she was dead. And um, I went in there and started feeling around, and I was like, there's no blood or nothing. I'm like, what is going on? She just got, is it a shot? I mean, was it their warmer? Can't be. And so I called Doc immediately. I'm like, hey, Doc, I've, one of these yearlings is down, and she's, she's dead. And he's like, well, and he goes, feel around, feel around. He's like, check behind her shoulder. Do you feel any holes? And I flipped her up on her side. I mean, by this time, they're 600 pounds, so it's not just something you just pick right. up and throw around. And sure enough, I found, there was no blood. I found a hole, like basically where you would shoot a deer. Okay. Right there in the vitals area, and she had been gored. Oh. And... The sucky part about it was she was just wormed, which means you can't eat them at that point. Yeah. It's, you have to wait, you know, 45, 60 days for all that to get, hit them. So there was nothing I could do at that point. So we took her hide. I still have her hide. We, 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 yeah. we got her hide and uh, we got her skull and that was about as all we could do. Um, because you, at that point, you can't take them to a processor. Um, you know, brutal. Yeah, and that was took a life big time. Like, that was in my experience. first year, oh. and it, you know, it's it wasn't just a little calf that had issues or nothing. It was like it was one of my core females, and yeah, yeah I still think about her today. So from then on, yeah, my wife looked at me. And she goes, "We're getting a squeeze shoot. Yeah, we're doing. We're doing it. Yeah. We're gonna do it, and we're gonna build it." And I said, "Okay." So you know. Yeah dive into that business what um 
talk, talk to me a little bit about kind of like why you dove into the YouTube and the social media side of things and like what also when you started like what was the business plan did you have social media in the plan and did you think we're going to have clothes and hats and we're going to have an <laughs> online store like tell me about like how all that has unfolded because I mean I just checked you have 214,000 subscribers on YouTube you know you've I think it's 150, 114,000 on, on, you know, Instagram. And yeah. we've got one video that's done like 23 million views. Like <laughs> yeah. it's wild, right? Like yeah. it's incredible. But my, my questions are, you know, kind of multiple questions is, you know, what was the business plan starting out? And then the social media side of things, how has that like come in and also positively impacted the business? Um, I hit my wife would laugh, but I don't have a business, but I'm not a business Minded. So you just want to buy some. Yeah, on yeah. Like, this yeah. is cool. This is fun. You know, I now I've grown to think a little more like that. But you know, I'm just a. I think uh, for me, it was I wanted to support something, and I was like, "There's a really cool story here. These animals. Why can't I take them and try to help the conservation restoration side of these animals?" And then after I have them, then you start thinking about. Well, yeah, you got to pay the bills. You got to you got to build more fences. You want to buy some more? Okay, well, how are you going to get to that point? So, I didn't really have the business mindset. I was like, I could take these animals, we could create some really good breeding stock and I could sell them, you know, to other producers. That takes a lot of time of investment in those animals to get to that point where they're reproducing and having good stock to you. So, so I have to be honest, I didn't have the business mindset. My wife has the business mindset. And so we kind of, I have the, I feel like the, the work ethic into putting in everything, like I'm, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to try to do the right things for these animals. You need good handling equipment. I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm going to work. I can weld. I can build fence. I can do those things. I can feed them. And, and tend to them and be the best producer I can be. So I was like, I can do, be that guy, the work, the rancher, whatever you call it. Um, so that was the first side of it. Now, how did I get onto YouTube? I have to be honest. I mean, there's a little story here. I'm sitting in my classroom. What year was that? 2019, early 2019. Um, my brother-in-law at the time, Daniel from Armstrong, my homestead, had been talking to me about it. He said, you need to do it. You need to do it. I, mean, I don't know what he was at at this point. He's like a homestead a homestead guy. He had been doing it for five or six years. So he was kind of one of the first homestead guys on YouTube. He would kind of was one of the pioneers of that. By that time, I think he's got 400,000, I mean, three or 400, so, yeah, 400,000 followers. And he had a lot of followers. I'm sitting in my classroom, and somehow... Some uh, our family message pops up, and uh, they're like, Daniel's out with the bison. I think my wife sent me a message that said, Daniel's out there with the bison video on him. I'm like, what? Of course, he's doing a live, right, on YouTube, and he's at the place. He's at Mom and Kevin's, and he's out there with the bison. And um, I guess he needed some content at the time. He wanted to show something different, and he's out there telling his followers that, He's trying to get me to do this. And so just calling you out. Yeah, he basically was. <laughs> and uh, and I saw that and I showed my kids uh, that m my class that day. I'm, they were like, what? What is it? And so anyways, that was kind of the push. Yeah. I like to say that was like, well, 
he just called me out. Now I need to do it because I had kind of thought about it. I hear, here's the deal is like, I remember Marissa and I sitting in our living room when we could do this and didn't have a child, didn't have to watch all the other shows, but <laughs> we got to watch YouTube. And um, this was something that kind of influenced me or encouraged me to do this is we would sit there and you couldn't find anything on YouTube or really social media about bison. And I'm like, this is crazy. You're telling me this is America's mammal and there's not that much out there. There's, there's Ted Turner stuff. There's old documentaries out there. Um, but there was nothing consistent. There was, I'm like, this is a shame. And so that's kind of the background. I'm like, Hey, I need to, uh, there needs to be more information out there on these animals. And of course, growing up in Oklahoma, yeah. it's our state mammal. I'm like, it's everywhere. You can't drive in Oklahoma City and not see a bison somewhere. And all the statues across the, uh, the state. Um, so it's this very symbolic animal. They've gone through tragedy where they almost disappeared you know, from us. We have the Native American culture mm-hmm. and that they were so essential to them. Why aren't we? Something missing. Right. And so I took my natural teaching mindset I think you know from teaching and yeah. and so in 2019 in May I did my first video and naturally when I went out there I was because there was nothing on YouTube I went into the teaching mindset of showing people hey there's people that raise these animals let me talk to you about what's going on here and um Man, I refuse to watch those videos, by the way. Like, my first... Did you edit them at all? I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's tough to do that and to keep stay, keep up with it and do all that stuff. Like, it's not easy. It, it is, man. And I remember editing, and I could do a little bit of edit, but I wasn't great at it. And I just used iMovie on the Mac to yeah. do it and figured out a groove. But my, five, my first five or six were... I, I, I refuse to watch them because it's embarrassing. The, the hardest thing was was seeing yourself in in your phone yeah like the camera yeah um and and hearing yourself talk when you go to edit it and you're embarrassed because other people were going to listen to you edit yeah um so i had to get over those things and um that's kind of where that went um and how it started and then how it how it grew i tell you what um it really grew this past summer there was so youtube's funny um and you may get this with others on social media but you know of course all the analytics and everything on it it's wild so i just kept posting that was my thing and i was still coaching and teaching at the time, and I would come and feel, I think I was doing one video a week. That was my goal. And I think Daniel was doing that at the same time because I would just kind of structure, okay, well, he's doing this, you know. So I did the one video a week. So I'd film that on the Saturday, you know, in between football work days. And uh, it grew. And I had an initial push from him. I think he, you know, he threw me out there. And so I got some of those followers. So I'm very thankful for him to kind of give me that boost because. Um, if you tried to do that today, it's very hard. Yeah. Starting from scratch is extremely hard. Yeah. Starting, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I had a I had a little little uh, forward in there, and an initial following. And so from there, I just kept posting, and I tried to grow, tell the story. Why am I doing this? 
what, and, and give them background history of what I knew of the bicep. Just basically replicating my experience yeah. and, and what, my visions and stuff. So that's kind of how it grew. But then, of course, as you start diving in more and more to YouTube, there's videos that have stood us apart. And um, I, I think one video, you know, the working videos is where it gets really... Uh, Does that, like... And that does that surprise you? Uh, well, when you go back and watch the older, the old videos, it really I'm like, what the heck was that doing? But you know, you have to do it because we committed to um, we committed to having our own squeeze shoot and yeah. set up, and so we started working on there. And I was like, uh, the first couple of ones I posted did really well of us actually working because yeah. why people like the working videos at mom and Kevin's is because it's a manual squeeze shoe. There's a lot of yeah, moving uh, parts just right. like, I mean, yeah, just pushing a button. Yeah. Like a hydraulic, you know, there's a lot of movement and it's, there's a lot of sound. There's a lot of banging. It's a giant animal. Yeah. And you know, I'm, we're all learning at the same time. My animals have never been through the system and then you just do all these things and it's, it's very empowering there's a lot of adrenaline yeah. and like I would be so tired after working them just because not that I worked that hard. It wasn't that it was Mentally. mentally stressful. I want to make sure I keep all my animals safe and on the people helping me. Okay. So those, those, those videos always did good. And I think they gave me pushes through YouTube. Um, one video that really stood out was lumpy. Uh, we went, my uncle called me. I mean, I, this is a good, this is a long, it could be a long story, but basically in Lindsay, Oklahoma, yeah. um, around Lindsay Croner area, my uncle called me, I call him my uncle, he's my dad's best friend. Um, he called me and said, hey, there's a bison out here. He's got this funny accent. And he said, there's a bison out here with her cows. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, there's a bison out here with her cows. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, well, we don't want it. He's like, do you want it? I'm like, he's like, it's got a big lump on it. And I'm like, like a hernia or something? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, a month went on, whatever. I didn't really think anything about it. He's like, hey, can we get this bison out of here? Not that he was hurting anything. He was just a yearling. I'm like, sure. Well, I'm like, how are we going to catch him? I was like, you got a good corral? And he's like... Nah, ours is not very good. And of course, when you push bison, they, you know, yeah. you better have some good equipment. Yeah. And he's like, no. He's like, okay, well, let me call Doc. Let me call my vet. And I was like, Doc, can you meet me at Kreiner at this place? And you bring the tranquilizer, or, you know, and because uh, only vets are legal to do that with the drug. And so, yeah. And so that's like shooting them with a tranquilizer dot? Yeah, the dark safest gun. way to do it? Yeah. yeah. Because he's out in the pasture. Yeah, you're not going to run up to that thing. <laughs> I mean, no you would have to get, you'd have to feed him and train. I know he could have done that with his cows, but the, his, his corral was yeah. not par to catching a bison. Um, so we just tranquilized him. And we went out there, and everybody's watching. Doc just walks up there, shoots him, and then... Like he has waited about 15 minutes. He was staggering, but he wouldn't go down. He shot him again. And then uh, finally he went down. And so that was the story of where Lumpy started. Yeah. And I think, I don't know now, but it was my biggest video at the time. I think it has 8 million now. But 
that is like we rescued a bison. We did. Yeah. We brought him back. We put him with other bison. I raised him for a year. I took him to Oklahoma State. He had a massive hernia, like the size of a girl's basketball. And I think the story, what Doc said is probably, they're like, well, how did he end up in this pasture? How did he jump the fence and end up with these cows? Doc said that a lot of, and I'm not calling, uh, cutting uh, horse trainers out sure. of this situation. Not all of them do this, but they use bison to train uh, cutting horses. Okay. Um, and so more than likely, he was used for that. He got gored. He got injured. He either got out or they let him out. So I ended up on my uncle's place, Dean's, and then we went and rescued him, brought him back. Anyways, like, I felt really bad for him. He he came home, or he came to our place, got weight on him. His hair started to shed. He started looking better. Now, he was stunted because of his life. He wasn't the, the by no means, this guy was not going to be a production breed bull. You know, I took him to Oklahoma State, did an x-ray. Basically, you know, uh, bison have five stomachs like a cow. And one of those stomachs protruded through that opening, through the wall. And so you just have this massive hernia. And so I went to Oklahoma State to show the followers and, and myself this could be a really expensive surgery. And if you do that, he could stress out and die just because sure. of yeah. their socialness in a facility by himself. I'm like, it's not worth doing the surgery. Plus, he's not... You know, he's fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's for now for now. Yeah. And so that was one of the first videos yeah. that really, really did good. And so from then on, you know, it's like this summer we had a really big boost um, where I think I hit the 200,000 mark and we jumped quite a bit there. So and you're still staying consistent one week was trying to stay consistent. No, I'm two. two. Yeah. So okay. I think in 20. 21 it, we've been doing it a while i started going two a week and so i post on youtube on sundays and thursdays yeah. typically and fully monetized and you know it's helping yeah. pay for you know yeah. stuff so yeah so eventually you know on youtube and facebook you have to hit so many followers and you have to hit so many hours on each yeah. one of those platforms to start earning an income and getting the AdSense or getting the paid views yeah. or the paid advertisement, whatever. And so I started earning an income off of those, Facebook and YouTube. And it, you know, like here's the difference what we do versus lots of YouTube or influencers. They're not spending, you know, tons of money, you know, on like the, there's, there's, there's a lot of money yeah. going on in the background. Yes. Um, you know, so like we're ranching. Yeah. We're raising animals. You got to pay for feed. You got to pay for fences. You got to pay for land. You got to pay for all those things. And so I'm not employed. I'm self-employed now. Yeah. And so just from the YouTube thing. So we, we started to uh, be able to earn enough income. I could pay my bills. That's amazing. Yeah. And so basically I was like, this is going to work. And I love yeah. The connection with the followers, people just love. They're like, people didn't even know that bison still existed. Mm -hmm. Like, there's people out there that didn't know that, and they don't know anything about the American bison. I still get that today. Yeah. And so that's my job to keep, you know, promoting these animals. And so I just took that on, and I, I just, yeah, I, I love doing it. I love showing them. And, you know, it's a family thing. Our, our daughter's gonna as a part of it you know and and uh, 
hopefully she will in the future and we're trying to build something else that's bigger than ourselves so no it's awesome and it's great that you know you can have and it just by making money from it it just reinforces the you know the fact that you should double down on this go to two videos a week and really use your teaching skills to share this message and the money you make from it goes it's not like you're going out and buying a brand new truck because you want to buy a new brand new truck. Yeah. Like this is going to build a new fence or defeat yeah. or like vet bills or whatever it is. Like yep. they, when people watching the videos get to see that as yes. well. So they just reinforce that. And then, you know, you tie into, Hey, you, you know, you're selling hats and you got merch and you yep. now you're on the, the, the meat side of it too. Right. So you've got all of this kind of just kind of works together in this giant circle of like, Hey, now we have this business that has, you look at a spider web and it's got a bunch of different arms off it that all generate income for the main goal, which is raising bison. Yes. Yeah, that's right. it. I mean, you said it really well. That's because we had the following uh-huh. and I always, I always think, well, we started with merch. I remember doing it out of one of our spare bedrooms, you know, Marissa and I in there printing labels and, and packaging them up. And of course it's grown from there, but I saw an opportunity here. We've got all these bison. It's a, it's a bison focused channel. You know, there's lots of channels that are super diverse and doing lots of different things. Mine was just bison. I found that niche. That That's the reason I think that helped me is I was one of the only ones that did it consistently. Yeah. There were some guys out there that would film it, and it didn't have to be a high production or nothing, but, you know, we started being consistent, and I think that's what helped us. Uh-huh. So we did the two a week, every Sunday, Thursday. That's where the consistency helped us grow. So we saw the people, we saw the followers, we saw the loving and the care, and I'm like, I think about Ted Turner. He made a quote one time in one of those YouTube videos. I saw a documentary he did, and he said, if you want more bison, you got to eat more bison. And I'm like, like, that doesn't make any sense, you know? You're telling me I got to kill this animal and eat it so we can have more? Yeah. You really think about it. I mean, that guy, that guy owns an eighth of the bison population in our country. Right, nuts. That tells you something. Yeah. He's a huge, huge part of where we are today with the bison. You know, I think we're 600-ish thousand now in North America. And so you look at that and you're like, he's right. And so I... I'm a huge fan. Brought you jerky today. It's I, fantastic, by the way. I yeah. love jerky. Like I remember making jerky uh, with my mom's dehydrator. It was deer jerky. You know, I was in high school. I'm like, this is. I've always been a fan of, and now I always wanted to do jerky. And I'm like, how do you reach people? By you know, here's a chance. Have some yeah. bison, and it's healthy for you. You know, it, all the benefits of it, and uh, that's where the jerky and the sticks came in. Um, we started doing that uh, in 22, I believe. Yeah. And the meat side of it came into play because man, it just takes a lot to get there to that point. And because you know, see, by quickly for 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 people to understand something, cattle take half of the time to get to a certain weight, what we call a thousand pounds, uh, takes a bison about two years, we'll say a bull, to reach that thousand pound mark. Well, now you can go slot, you can go process a bison, you know, 11, 1200 pounds, whatever your desire is of that weight. You can also breed a bison at two now. Steers can do that in a year, a year and a half, depends on how fast they're pumped. So your return on investment is a lot faster than bison. Yeah. You have to wait till they get that big. And so, you know, it takes a long time for a guy like me that started with five yearlings to get to that point. 
And so by 2022, we had built up our following and stuff. I felt like, well, we've got to give back somehow. We've got to and try to create a business off of this and promote the animal. It's not just about going out here and filming and showing these awesome animals and the breeding side of it. There's a whole business side of it too. So (laughs) that's why we did it. And they taste great as well. Yeah. Like bison's some of the best meat out there. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, it's like in Oklahoma, you don't think about it. It's kind of hard to find. And even maybe across the country, like we ship from California to Florida in the East Coast, people can't maybe not reach it and maybe it's a a decent price for them yeah. to ship it so uh to that point what is your favorite cut of meat man i really like the filet my wife likes the ribeye but they're both really good i like a thick cut filet okay um from a bison and that's because i like mine about medium rare yeah and just have you had a bison steak? I don't think I have. Okay, I want to say I have, but I probably, I, can't, I can't remember. I've had elk and other things. Oh but, yeah, um, you know, a friend who's gone hunting. It's like, hey, I've got some meat. Do you want some? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> especially elk. Yeah, so um, you know, it wasn't it was what wasn't really a it was like a corporate hunt thing. He well, his company. He's a salesman. And we're like, hey, take a bunch of clients out there, and you know, it wasn't yeah, like, it wasn't hard work. Yeah, let's just say that. Um, but every year he goes, and he's like. I don't have enough room in my freezer. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Bring as much as you, you can take as much cool. elk yeah, as you exactly. can get, yeah. uh, which is great. But no, I don't think I've had, I mean, I've probably had like a bison hamburger or whatever. At like, yeah. You know, uh, the garage, the garage. Yeah. yeah. I've had one of those. You but, can get it there. Yeah. But I haven't, um, I don't think I've had a steak now. Um, here's the thing about bison is what, what's sad is, is if you've never had it before and you went to a place that had it on the menu, and you had it, and, and the cook didn't do a very good job of cooking it and maybe overcooked it because it cooks so much faster than beef. There's not as so much fat. It's very lean. So if you went out somewhere and had it and it wasn't very good, now you have a bad taste in your mouth. I'm like, why would I ever eat this again? And that happens more than we know. And I've been a victim of that too. And I'm like, that gummit? No, you got to cook it a certain way. You can't overcook it because it's like a deer or an elk. If you cook that, those are lean animals, deer, elk, and bison. They're all in that same picture because they're lean animals. Um, and so that's what happens a lot with bison is people are like, well, I'm not going to pay two or three extra dollars for that burger patty or 20 more dollars for that steak, whatever it is, they're not going to do it. And so, you know, we're set back. But um, if you really look at the benefits of it, though, it's second highest like right next to elk i think elk is one of the highest proteins you can get you know as far as a game animal bison is right up there with it and low in cholesterol low in cholesterol lower in fat than chicken you know i mean lots of minerals there's a lot of good things about it um but you got to have it cooked right is what what i was asking any uh any like uh, tips and tricks on how, how how do you like obviously you said yours you like yours medium rare but like what's the tips and tricks on like cooking it just for the masses out there yeah I mean for me I'm a medium rare guy okay. and some people don't like that but if you eat a bison well done I don't think in my opinion if it's well done like you may like your beef steak or whatever I don't think you're getting the full taste of it because because it's so lean and it gets to that temperature so much faster it to me it's just not going to taste the same yeah. um so 
for people who like their meat well done, you may not, you may try something different like a burger or, or something, or, um, you know, I don't know what else you can do, but back to the uh, social media side of things. Have you had people like want to come visit? Do you think about having people out? Have you had people out? Like what's the kind of thought on that? Well, I get, we get, we get a lot of inquiries of people wanting to come do tours and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, the only people that really have came out to the ranch besides friends and family are people that are wanting to raise bison. Okay. I'm very open to that. More of an educational tool rather than, hey, come see America's animals. Yes, yeah. yes. And we're just, I'm not, I'm not, we're not declining those people yet. We definitely want to do that. And so I can kind of make that up right now with my, my, our, our social media presence. So, Here's what I, I, we will allow people to come to the ranch and we give them a tour of our facilities and how we work them. Um, We show them our fencing. We show them what we feed them. We give them a breakdown, you know, a a learning strategy on if they're interested in raising bass. Because like, excuse me, I want people to, we, we need more bison out there. You know, well, we'll never get to 30, 60 million. We know that. But there's nothing wrong with people raising bison. And so, um, like beef people, there's people that raise cattle that have come to our ranch that want to switch to bison. How creative, how, how awesome of a story is that? You know, there's nothing wrong with beef. I want people to know that. But if you're into the regenerative thing like we are and you're wanting to do those things and make the land better, your water better, your soil better, look at bison and see what they, they did it for hundreds of years on Great Plains. Yeah. There's a reason why the Great Plains are the way they are. Yeah. D- dive into that for me then, their, their, their preservation side of things. Like, that's obviously a huge you know, part of why you do this. What's yeah. the kind of nuts and bolts behind it? Well, I mean, so I look at genetics. Okay. And, and I learned a lot of this from Gerald Parsons, my, vet, uh, my mentor I was talking about. So he is kind of the genetic uh, guy, he, he he's one of them. There's a lot of bison people out there, but when you go, he said the first thing that you need to do is when you, if you're starting to raise bison, he said you need to start with good ones first. Don't just go out and just buy some random bison because some producers or ranchers may not have good ones. And here's what happened in the bottleneck in the late 1800s when those populations decreased rapidly and they got smaller cattle were brought into the bison were brought into cattle ranches and it was great because they were catching them out on the frontier you know which was awesome they were bringing them into ranches well a lot of people started the beefalo thing and so you have a little wash wash up there of genetic diversity um and then you know if you take an animal from millions down to less than a thousand there's going to be some interesting things that happen with any animal and it's happened with many animals in, in uh, our country. And so um, I kind of keep that in mind. But I think that whatever animal that we have today left of the genetics of when the Native Americans were living off of them and everything that we had in the before we were here, whatever we have of them, we try to keep that and hold on to it. Now, I don't know what the correct term for that is. If you call that restore conserve I don't know the correct term for that but that's what we try to keep is what we have and so when you do that you keep, you, you can test the, there's ways that you can test 
to see what your animals have. And the number one thing is let's keep cattle genes out. So if there's a, if you've got bison out there that have it in them and people still breed them to, to cattle and make still make beef flow, which I highly discourage, um, you, you know, we need to hold on to that because, um, we almost lost that animal. I'm almost gone. You know, all the genetic diversity of where those first, those bison that we have today, you know, survived the last ice age. Like, and so you've got to hold on to that. And so that's, that's kind of where that passion of genetic diversity comes from and pay, paying attention to the genes. And, um, yeah, we're so fortunate. Do you know that the Wichita mountains is one of the most Prestigious people don't and people don't know that right yeah like, like it's very underrated place yeah it yeah. is a yeah for and not only is it its own unique world down there in you know lot in our medicine park area but those bison there are some of the most genetically diverse bison from the last rescue of them and they all started from the Bronx Zoo. Well, where did those animals come from? Because they were caught out on the, the range when they started to disappear. And then the Bronx Zoo started their own conservation program. Well, I want to say, and it's down there in at the museum there at the West Shoal Mountains Wildlife Refuge. I think in 19, I don't know, 1900s, 1915, 20, somewhere in there, they loaded them up on a rail car, hauled them by rail down there. I think 15 or 20 animals, something like that dropped them off at cash and then drove them like cattle drive to the to the Wichita Mountains refuge and said there you go you know and when you drive down there you pass that you drive over the cattle garden it's like yeah it's pretty awesome you know Um, but no those animals there are I mean there's people that talk about three or four places in America that have the best genetics of what's left of American bison, 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 genus species, Yellowstone. And you talk about the Wichita mountains and there's a couple more in there, like wind cave or something, but there's two or three places. And when you talk about it compared to Yellowstone, you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those animals. Now they're not going to be as huge and magnificent because of location. There's a difference in Yellowstone and difference in lot in Oklahoma. right? Right. But the diversity side of it, is there i mean one of the biggest bison in the world which is black dog what you can find on the oklahoma historical society i have a picture blown up i'm putting in my classroom it's one of the biggest bison ever recorded guess where he was wichita mountains wildlife refuge that's awesome yeah it says 2800 pounds that's a massive animal yeah and uh you know so you don't like you don't think about that those are they're just down the road and so like you, you said underrated, yeah. that's a good way to put it. And so that's where the YouTube side of, of, of underrated, I think about that all the time. So sorry, I get drifted no, off. Dude, this is awesome. Like this has been, this whole thing has been amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm glad we finally got to do this. Uh, so people can go to crosstimbersbison.com, find everything they need to there at crosstimbersbison on Instagram, same with Facebook. Um, and then, I need to connect you with um, an artist friend of mine who's kind of big in the bison painting world as well because I think you guys had hit it off. Um, I love that. I'll do that once we start recording. But 
appreciate you coming down, mate. This is awesome. Thank you so much for the gifts. Thank you, Marissa, for everything. Um, the hats, I will wear. I love hats, so I will wear every <laughs> single one of them. Yeah. Um, the jerky isn't going to last long. That's going to be gone by the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming down. It's awesome. We need to do this again in a couple of years just to check in. Yes. Uh, I look forward to doing that. Um, and, and, and you have, by the time this goes out, you will have new beef sticks. Yes, bison. Bison sticks, sorry. Bison. See, look at that. That's just like force of habit. You will have new bison sticks. It is a sticks, habit. It's okay. Uh, bison sticks in the, um, in, on the online store. And um, for people listening, go, if you haven't tried it, go try it. Right? Yeah. And, and don't, don't cook it too long. Yeah. Right? No, that's right. So, yeah. Do you have any YouTube, uh, YouTube videos of how to cook no. it? No. Okay, so here's, here's the next video. Here's what, yes. Now, here's what I was going to add. Yeah, for for, for you and for others is we're renovating our barn. There's a 60 by 80 barn that existed there when we bought this property, the Ponderosa. And um, we've been renovating it and we're getting really close. So we're what we're trying to do is make a, a place where we can have people come and visit and see the animals. You can see Big Joe. You can see some of those original animals. Um I don't know what we're doing, how we're doing it, but that was my vision. And so my wife and I are working towards that. Serving a meal, maybe? Maybe, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, but, and filming, yeah. you know, showing people how to, and I'm not, I'm the cook of our house, hold, but that doesn't mean I, I'm a perfect bison cook, right. you know. You um, know how cook. to cook it your way. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but we definitely want to show that and we want to, the people out there that ask me and I have to turn them down, you know, there's a liability when you pull in that ranch and stuff, but um we're going to have it available okay. to them eventually where they can come to the Ponderosa across Timbers Bison Ranch and see some of the bison and experience it. I will come out and look forward to it. Absolutely. Thank you, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, for people listening, uh, thank you so much, and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by Citizens Bank of Edmond. Citizens Bank of Edmond has been serving Edmond since 1901. They pride themselves on investing in the community and are here for all your personal and business banking needs. For more information, go to MyCitizens.Bank and follow them on Instagram at CitizensEdmond, as well as... Go bank there because I bank there too. It's been a fantastic personal experience for me. I've had my podcast account there now, my podcast business account there now for a few, 
four years now, I think, and it's been fantastic. So definitely worth your time. They're a great group of people and they're always there to answer the phone when I forget my password because I seem to forget it daily. Um, so yeah, go to Citizens Edmund and um, check them out. It's been awesome. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.